0: Detours with Regina Brett, where we help you create a life you love out of the life you have. Thanks for joining me. I'm your host, Regina Brett. C.S. Lewis said, People read to know they're not alone. But what should you read? As the saying goes, so many books, so little time. Our guest today can help you choose the right book for you and for those you love. Suzanne DiGittano has been selling books since 1982. She doesn't just sell books at her indie bookstore, Max Bax on Coventry Road in Cleveland Heights. She nurtures poets, encourages writers, and hosts book clubs. Suzanne loves connecting books and people and creating opportunities for people to connect in the literary community. For all that and more, she won a coveted Cleveland Arts Prize in 2018. She's here to talk about what to read and how to find the right book. Suzanne, thanks for joining us. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. And I just love your bookstore. Oh, I'm a groupie here. <laughs> so Susie, what is on your own personal nightstand right now? I always want to know what you're reading since you're you're exposed to every book
1: out there. I just finished a book by Kevin Wilson. And I was attracted to it because people kept telling me how entertaining it was. And I think at this time, people are really looking for escape reading and things to lighten the mood a little bit. And I definitely needed something like that. This is a book, The premise Sounds Outlandish, but it's about uh, this woman who's friends with someone from college and she's recruited to help the family because two of the children um, spontaneously combust. And that sounds pretty heavy, but it's really, it's done done very well. And it's funny, there's laugh out loud moments, but it's actually poignant. So that's what I'm reading right now. But also, I really, really want to read A Promised Land by President Obama. So I think that will be next.
0: Well, that's, that's good. I've heard it's gotten great reviews. You mentioned during this time we're in this pandemic, I think books are more important now than ever. Some of it to escape, but some of it to also kind of find our way through it. What, what has helped people most as
1: far as books during this pandemic time? Well, that's a great question. And I think readers are divided. Some people are really having a hard time focusing And other people are just reading and reading like crazy and having the time to read more, which is which is great. So early on in the pandemic, I think it was kind of like all over the place. We were we were selling books online. And so I was seeing all the books that people were ordering and it didn't have a theme. It was a little bit of everything, you know, some cookbooks. um, But what happened over the summer with social justice protests um, was sort of unprecedented. There was just this like huge outpouring and demand for books about social justice. And not just one title, but several titles, African American history, um, books about uh, absorbing and dealing with trauma, poetry, fiction, everything. And so this not related to the pandemic, really, but it happened during the pandemic. And it was just really unprecedented. And then um, since then, I think it's also been all over the board, but I've noticed that lately, well, I think people's attention was shifted for the election and uh, people were, were probably mostly reading, you know, news reports, et cetera, during that time. But now that that's over, um, it looks like people are getting back to some reading habits, maybe some lengthy books that they've been wanting to read for a long time, but this escape stuff that I was talking about, I think has been a theme lately.
0: You know, I think that's so true. I know I came into your bookstore a few weeks ago and walked out with like 10 books that I wasn't planning on buying. But the idea of books felt so nurturing. And during this uncertain time, it's sort of like food for your soul. Just those beautiful words that somebody else captured. Yeah. So how many books do you read at once? I tend to read like a few different books and kind of hop around. What about you?
1: Well, I just try to read one book. My motto is one book at a time because <laughs> then then you can like kind of get through them. But you know here we just see so many books coming through all the time, and it's it's not just the new books coming out or not just the new used books that we have coming in, but the publishers send pre-release books for us to consider, so things keep replacing other things on the top of the stack because you get so much stuff so like right now, and I think this is common. And I have a couple of anecdotes about this too. You know, people have purse books, things that they carry around when they're waiting in line or when they're doing that. And my purse book right now is a collection of poems by um, Jill Bielaski. She's a native Clevelander. She lives in New York. She's an editor, but she just wrote us a book, a series of linked poems. And that's, that's what's in my purse right now. Beautiful.
0: And I know there's a new Mary Oliver Devotions that just came out. Yeah. I can't yeah. wait to get that and carry that around. So how many pages do you give a book? I give it 40 pages. And if it doesn't have you by 40, uh, it's gone. What
1: about you? Well, that's a good question. Because I'm surrounded by books all the time, I probably don't even give it that much time. And one thing that I'd like to tell people to do, and i learned, I think I learned this kind of late, actually. One of my uh, friends was in with her teenage kids. And, and I was sort of bustling about trying to find the right book for this teenage girl. And and she was leaning against the shelf reading a John Grisham book. And I realized, okay, well, this is what she wants to be reading, you know. And, and so I like it when people pick up a book and read the first couple chapters. And if you get drawn in, and that's what happens to me. I like to read the first couple chapters, or I'm sorry, first couple paragraphs and get drawn in. And, and, and I pretty much can tell right there if I'm going to like it.
0: You know, they say, don't judge a book by its cover, but I do. I look at the cover, I look at the back, and then I always read the opening paragraph. Because to me, you got to grab somebody. And if your first page isn't really great, I think that's your, it's like the showcase in the window when you're shopping. If you don't like the clothes they're displaying to
1: have you come in the store, you're probably not going to like what's in the store. Is that true for you? Well, it's really true. Um, And in the book industry, I think publishers will signal with their covers a kind of book. We we sort of have a little bit of a joke here about the trends and covers. Like for a while, there was always like women with upswept hair being photographed from the back. And that would that would signal something. Um, sometimes there's certain color themes that are used to signal something. And I think it's useful because it does uh, tip customers to things that are like other things that they've liked. I remember there was an author here once who published late in life and he was a reader for the Ohio State Journal. So he said that when he would read manuscripts or when he would read short stories or things, submissions that came in, it was the first paragraph. And if it didn't grab him right away, you know, I, that's what happens with me. You know, so, so I do think writers need to craft that, that first paragraph to be effective.
0: Now, Suzanne, you were born and raised in Cleveland Heights in South Euclid. When did you fall in love with reading? Do you remember the moment you're like, oh, my God, I love
1: books? Yeah, I remember the first book that I got as a gift. Um, My aunt gave me like a child's biography of Benjamin Franklin. And I just loved that book. I loved reading about Benjamin Franklin. It opened up all these worlds to me. And I remember there was a, a paragraph in there that he could make a whole meal from a hunk of bread and a handful of raisins. And I thought, in my kid's mind, I couldn't figure out, like, how do you, like, I was trying to think how you would cook that. And I didn't realize that he was just eating a hunk of bread and a handful of raisins, you know. So when we were kids, I mean, our family was big library people. And, you know, our parents just would always take us to the library. So we were a family of readers.
0: I think the big thing for families like yours and mine, it opens up that portal to the world. It's like a passport to everywhere to go in a library. And you partner with libraries. I mean, you, you've you done book signings at libraries when you've got an
1: overflow. Yeah, a couple of things. We have a partnership with the Cleveland Heights University Heights Public Library, the Coventry branch, and it's been ongoing for about 10 or 11 years now. It's a seasonal program. We feature three um, books and authors each uh, spring and fall. And, um, you know, we do that for a couple different reasons. They do have a bigger capacity at the library, and also it's such a lovely space at the Coventry Library. And we can reach a wider uh, range of people if we're kind of combining both of our, you know, constituents. And then also, um, we've partnered with the Cuyahoga County Public Library on their author events. They have pretty much, you know, like this kind of huge national reach with the publishers and they're able to attract very, very big name authors to, you know, the Parma Snow facility has like can fit like over 400 people. Um, The South Euclid Library has a couple hundred capacity, So they get kind of big authors and we've been fortunate enough to be able to partner with them and sell books at those events.
0: It's great because some people think bookstores and
1: libraries are competing, but I love the partnership that you formed. Yeah, no, uh, we work we work hand in hand with them. You know, it's just it's a symbiotic relationship uh, for sure. Yeah.
0: Now you attended Beaumont School, Miami University. You majored in communications and political science, and I wonder your life took kind of zigzag turn. You ended up selling books. How did you find this as a career, and were there any books that helped kind of guide you on that path?
1: Well. I majored in political science and communications. My and communications was basically radio, TV, and um, I basically wanted to get into like documentaries or radio documentaries. And when I got out of school, I did work at the Ohio College of Podiatric Medicine in the um, audiovisual department. And what we did there was produce medical videos for the doctors to use in their classes. I mean, there was a there was a TV studio there at the school. I worked there for a couple of years, um, but then I realized I had not really um, traveled. I, I hadn't really, you know, explored the world at all. So I took a year off and I traveled around the United States and I visited a lot of pretty cool cities, some that were my, my friends had been living in and um, stayed with them for a while and kind of got a taste of the, the States. And I, when I came back, I thought, well, I'll just stay here for a little bit and figure out, you know, where I want to live of all these places that I've seen. And, um, my, my good friend, uh, Jim McSherry owned a bookstore in Chagrin Falls and he was looking to expand it. It was a small space and he just had too many books. So I wanted to expand. And so we talked about, uh, Cleveland Heights location. Of course, I was born and raised in, in Cleveland Heights, um, South Euclid also when I got out of college, I moved right back into Cleveland Heights and just has always been my spiritual home here. And, uh, so we, um, looked at some spaces on Coventry. There was a upstairs space that was available. So we, um, opened a store here and you know what I thought was going to be a year. I just thought, well, I'll just get this going. And, um, you know, it's, I'm still getting it going really, because you're always, you're always learning. There's always new things. There's always growth and opportunity. And, um, you know, thanks to a great staff, we've been able to, you know, um, do some of the things we wanted to do. And you pack so much
0: in your bookstore, you've got three floors, new and used books, magazines, classic mystery, science fiction, really a little bit of everything. How do you balance it all? How do you figure out how much history, how much mystery, how much biography to, to carry?
1: Well, that's a great question. First of all, when we accept used books, we just, we try to take used books in good condition and the books that we know that our customers are seeking or books that we know that um, our customers will like. And during the pandemic, that formula has changed. You know, we have to be very restrictive about what we take and then we have to quarantine the books for several days before we can bring them in the, in the stock. But that's been our used book philosophy. And the new book philosophy is we basically are information Vacuums. You know, we try to get information from every single place we can. We have publisher accounts. um, We read widely um, the um, industry journals. And also, you know, with social media, there's so much out there about books and reading, what people are reading, book lists. And so um, all the different staff kind of bring their tastes into it. And you know, we just kind of empower each other. You know, if you read about something, if you know about something that's good, if we don't have it, let's let's get it. And this is also influenced by our customers. I'll never forget, like a million years ago, we had a customer come in and she was looking for The Alchemist by uh, Paulo Coelho. And this is, you know, an inspirational title that um, has really moved people over the years. And and um, at that time, I it was a new title to me. I didn't know it, and I thought. Here's this young woman, and this is a book that's meaningful to her. She's looking for it. I'm going to get this book. And that's been one of our best-selling titles. And it came from a customer recommendation. And that happens all the time. I mean, people tell us about books. So we're just kind of balancing all the information that's out there. You know, I guess it's an art and a science. You know, it's just great. I mean, there's so many wonderful books being published and from large presses, but but from the university presses. and from the small presses, so um, from the local presses, so it's, it's really a great world to be part of.
0: In the world you're part of, it, you're in such a diverse area, it's kind of a bohemian neighborhood, you're near Case Western Reserve University, near the museums, and I love that your staff, you have uh, kind of a young, vibrant staff to give a mix of their input too, because I'm 64, and sometimes I tend to hang out with people my age, and I've got to mix it up to kind of know what other people are reading and what they're recommending. And you've always kept it fresh and new in the store.
1: Well, we've had some people who've been with us for a really long time. And then um, we do have a really, like you say, vibrant younger staff, too, that are super smart. And the staff kind of works together. And I think we're kind of like a good work family. And um, thanks for saying that, because I really love working with the people that I work with. And I'm so glad that I'm so glad that they're here. And I love
0: when I walk in and I love when you're there, but sometimes when you're not there, they recommend books I'd never heard of. And I open them up and it's like, wow, I get exposed to some new world, new author. And, I, and that's why I love a bookstore. Sometimes you go on the, you know, you go online, you know what book you want, but when you go to a bookstore, you're exposed to everything else that you didn't know you wanted. And that's why I think you're so important more, more than ever.
1: Yeah. um, One of our staffers, Grace Harper, she writes a blog for us once a month um, that we post on our website and she reads almost exclusively fiction. She runs our fiction book club and she is a huge reader. I mean, she reads so much and um, she's got very, very good insight into into authors. And and since she sort of spearheads the, the book club, she's able to just really make good recommendations, um, built on this like huge range of reading that she 's done over the years, and then um, another one of our staffers reads um, a, kind of a lot of science books, a lot of math books, a lot of science fiction. And then Rosa, who's one of our younger staff people, she reads widely all different kinds of things, fiction, essays, um, nonfiction. Um, and so it's good to draw from them. And I know what you mean about having them at the store, because when when someone comes in and, you know, is looking for fiction and if Grace is working, you know, I just try to <laughs> steer them to, to Grace because she's just read so much. That's wonderful.
0: Well, we're already at the halfway mark. So I want to pause and thank you for listening to Little Detours with Regina Brett and my Mm. guest, Suzanne DeGatano. I know you have many podcast choices and I'm really grateful you chose to listen to mine. So Suzanne, uh, you're kind of a matchmaker of sorts. Sometimes I just go in your store and like, I just am blank, but I know I need books. And you'll wander around, you'll pick a few off the shelf. How do you kind of matchmake a book to the person that Comes in really not knowing for sure what their dad wants to read or what they want to read or their child wants to read. How? What's your starting point to kind
1: of ask the right questions? That's a great question. The first question we usually ask is, um, "What was the last book that they read that they loved?" Or sometimes they volunteer that information, and so that gives us an idea of the kind of reader that they are. Another thing that I think about is Nancy Pearl. She's a librarian in Seattle. And she's written several books about kind of matchmaking. And she broke it down in a very interesting way. I probably am not going to remember this exactly right. But she talked about readers who read for plot. Are you reading because you like to, you like momentum, you know, you like a quick moving thing. And I'm thinking right now of somebody like Daniel Silva, who um, writes, you know, ripped from the headlines, thrillers. The chapters are short. They're interesting. You just got to keep going. One more chapter, one more chapter, one more chapter. So are you are you that kind of reader? Um, Then there's people who, you know, read for character, you know, and think about maybe like the Jane Austen books, um, these very well-developed, deep characters. And then some people uh, read for the language, beautiful language. Maybe the plot is there. The characters are there but you're just I'm thinking about um the overstory by Richard Powers and I think that book actually had everything but the writing in that book is so exquisite um it's 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 about people whose lives are connected by trees and there's plot and the characters are you know it's told from different um characters point of views and then it all kind of ties up at the end but In between, you just have to stop and savor the writing because it's just so glorious and rich. Um, The best nature writing I've ever read, like in a nature book or outside of a nature book, and it's just wonderful. So some people read for that. So um, sometimes we don't get past that first question, um, what was the last book that you read that you loved? But those are some other considerations that would come into it.
0: What's interesting hearing you talk, because when I walked into your bookstore, I left with Tana French's The Searcher, and it was like I couldn't put it down. I was staying up till like 2 in the morning reading chapter, chapter. And then the book, Olive again, the writing, the plot, beautiful. And you had recommended The Overstory to me. I'd never heard of it. Oh, my gosh, beautiful. So what I love about when you walk into a bookstore like yours you get exposed to things you didn't know were there and they really do change your life and your thinking. And that's why I think it's important that you, you don't just read alone. You, you walk into bookstores and you you're part of that reading community of people that suggested books. So thank you for, for being that for people.
1: The Overstore that was recommended to me by pat gray at the coventry library so she sold it to me she you know she was just like you've got to read this and she told me all these things and i was like oh my gosh pat loves it so much i have to read it and then i became a missionary for it so (laughs) i just love how that gets passed
0: on like the word of mouth the old-fashioned word of mouth you know what about for children i have three grandkids who like love to read i mean ever since they were little they put a stack of books in their hands and come sit on your lap and just say read so how do you pick the right book for a child at what age, what interest, how do you kind of figure that out?
1: Well, that's a good question. I remember one children's bookseller saying once that parents or grandparents will will always come in, mostly grandparents will come in and say, well, um, the child is seven, but they read in a much more advanced level. So so there's always like a little bit of bragging and, and you have to kind of get down to the bottom of it. Well, what really is the child reading? There's always the classics, but You know, I think people are attracted to, if you're talking about little children, I think people are attracted to picture books um, for a couple different reasons. The beautiful art. So a, a book can have beautiful art and it is essentially an art book, but it might not carry the story. So I think adults have to be careful when they're buying for kids because, you know, are you buying it because you love it because of the art, which is often how I buy the kids' books for the store, or are you buying it for, the story potential and the potential to spark the child's imagination. So I think you have to look at that picture books in, in both those ways. And there are certain classics that people always buy because they've been proven to spark children's imaginations. So I think like in our store, we tend to sell some of the same books over and over and over again, because people want their kids and grandkids to have that experience. We also want to expose, you know, uh, grandparents and parents to to the newest books that are out there. And for like middle grade and teen books, I think what we rely on a lot is word of mouth lists, um, award books, and, you know, what the, the kids themselves are saying about the books. We had a dad and his daughter come in and they had driven to Nashville to see an author because she was going to be in like three places in the country. And this was the closest she was going to be. And um, it was a series of books that this daughter adored and the father took her to Nashville. So that was a clue to me. Well, I have to pay attention to this series. You know, this is, this is something that's important to kids.
0: You know, I think it's important to listen to what kids are reading. Uh, Before I had grandkids, I was more focused on my nieces and nephews. They turned me on to The Book Thief, The Fault in Our Stars. I fell in love with young adult fiction. It's so well-written. And what I love about it, they don't waste a lot of time on a lot of details that don't matter. They just get right to the heart of things. So I'm kind of like, I don't know. I, I,
1: it's a different genre that I hope adults will also try. They do. There's, there's a phenomena of people like into their 20s reading teen books for those very qualities that you just mentioned and and also some of them i just think are all ages books i think they're right. just you know they're they're exploring themes the, the teen books are really good at exploring important themes social issues personal issues
0: now i want to move a little bit about your community involvement you've really created like a cultural center there you know because reading can be like a solitary sport writing books can be a solitary adventure and you've created a place for writers for readers so that you're you're kind of not alone in this whole world of writing it, and it kind of started with your poetry readings, I think. Was that kind of the beginning of this kind of community involvement?
1: Well, the poetry reading started in 1984. And Daniel Thompson, who died about 15 years ago, he came to me and they he and another guy had been doing a, a reading series at the coffee shop down the street. But there were some censorship concerns with the um, reading poetry out loud to a community of, of people that some people weren't, you know, necessarily there for the poetry and uh, I think the management was worried about, you know, some of the content. So um we started doing the poetry readings at the bookstore in 1984 and we've been doing them once a month ever since basically and it's a, it's the same format. It's actually kind of a simple in format. It's just we put chairs in a circle and there's a couple featured readers that that read and then we we do an open mic and the reason I'm calling it a simple format is because I've never been able to figure out a way to like juice it up or jazz it up because it's people listening to poetry and being inspired and healed or angered by, by what they're hearing. And so um, yeah, we've, we've, so we've been doing the readings for a long time and you know, we're one of the people community, one of the entities in the community that support and promote poetry, but there's so many other great reading series around at the other bookstores and, um, through literary Cleveland. Um, so at the bars, uh, you know, and so, so there Cleveland's just a rich, rich, um, poetry community and actually rich writing community, as yes, you nice. know. So I guess your question was, was that the start of it? And, um, I don't know about anybody else, but it's, it's, it's really enriched my life. And it's been central to my life is the, the readers and the poets who have come here over the years.
0: Well, and I want to thank you for having a place for writers. Uh, My sister moved to Cleveland two years ago and her husband's uh, writes poetry. And it was hard for him to leave his community of poets and, and people who knew him. And he came here and you had him do a book signing, a reading there, and it opened up his world here as a poet and writer. And I can't tell you what that meant to him and to us to know that, he found instantly a writing community because you've created that kind of like that table. That's always there welcoming people in. So thank you for that, Susan. Thank you. And, and I got to tell you too, uh, I was thinking preparing for this uh, interview when I first came out with a book and uh, gosh, it's been 10 years. We had two boarders in town. We had Joseph Beth and we had a Barnes and Noble and those are gone except for Barnes and Noble, but you've remained apple trees, remained fireside books, uh, I mean, it's funny how we thought the independent small bookstores would go, but many of the big ones left. So
1: what's your secret to staying and staying vibrant? Well, when, when those stores left, when Borders closed, and then when Joseph Beth left, that really left an opportunity for us because our stores had always been there. The the other couple stores um, are Loganberry on Larchmere and then Visible Voice and Tremont. Um, there's a couple of stores in Lakewood, the big bookshop on, in Lakewood. And um, so when those big stores closed, I think it was just easy for people, like it's easy for people to do Amazon, it was easy for people to go to the big stores. But then when they closed, people looked around and said, okay, well, what's here? And so what was here were our indie stores that had always been here and had been supported by our communities, by our neighborhoods, and by people who were very diligent about shopping locally then our businesses were able to breathe a little bit and to expand. And in that time, since borders closed, the American Booksellers Association has seen like a a rise in independent bookstores, people filling the gaps where borders used to be. And also there's just some received wisdom now, I think, out in the world that um, bookstores can be a centerpiece of a neighborhood because they can offer like you say, the um, the author events, but but also we offer and and actually right before we closed for the pandemic, I felt like we had been at our like sort sort of dream of what a bookstore could be, which was offering music, um, having art on the walls, and and this is things that indie stores have you know done all over the country, and um, so I think that it was driven by the big stores failing but also tremendous community support and customer loyalty. It's people like you and like our neighbors all around who have decided that it's important to have a, a business like this in the community and have supported it and with their dollars. So that's that's why we're here because of you, people that are listening. I love that.
0: Well, we just have a minute here. So, Suzanne, pretend people are walking into your store. What five books would you say buy this book, read this book? What, what five books would you want to kind of promote to people right now?
1: Okay. well, right now I'm thinking about, um, I think if you're in the escape mode, you sh- the best of David Sedaris, David Sedaris just published a, his best of collection. He's funny, He's a wonderful writer. This is a great book. So that um, we just got this book. I'm going to show it to you. Um, and uh, it's called Resisting Segregation by Susie Kaiser. She's a local writer who documented the way that um, the women in Cleveland Heights resisted segregation in the 60s, kind of through 80s, and the groundwork that they laid for an integrated community. I would recommend this novel that I just was talking about at the top of the podcast, um, Nothing to See Here by Kevin Wilson. It's, it's a funny read, but it's, it's also thoughtful. I would recommend the the new book about Malcolm X, The Dead Are Arising. The author spent 30 years researching and writing this book. And I guess I would recommend, there's so many things going through my mind right now, but one of the books that was on the New York Times top 10 is a book called War by Margaret McTyre. And um, it's just kind of a nonfiction that traces that over the years. So I think think that, that would be my five.
0: That uh, makes me want to run to your store today.
1: <laughs> well, Suzanne, I want to thank you for
0: what you do that because you're not just selling books. you really have helped me as an author and the friends that my, uh, mine that are authors John Baxter, 3D Omergar, the endless people in Cleveland that are writers that you have elevated their work and, and just created a home for people that are hungry for words to soothe them. So thank you. Um, I want to thank you for joining us. What's the best way to reach you on social media?
1: Probably the best place to reach us is, is our website. And then social media is um, Instagram and Facebook. Okay. And Do you I'll want have, the
0: addresses? I'll have a link to that Max Backs website, uh, when, uh, to my website, reginabrett.com. Well, my biggest takeaway today is to really just go to that bookstore and, and, and talk to the people that run it. Because like you said, they, they hear from customers. And so you're connecting with that network that's bigger than just the people you see. I want to close with your answer to this question, Suzanne. What is the best thing you do for yourself every day to create a life you love out of the life you have?
1: Well, there's a thing that I should be doing and that I would like to be doing and the thing (laughs) that I really do. (laughs) So um, what I think is really important is um, like a a walking practice. And um, I, I, I don't really do that, but (laughs) In the summertime, I did. Um, our hours have been shortened because of the pandemic, so I have a little bit more time. And so um, I was walking every night, and I just think that's really important. I admire people who do that, and so so I think to do that. But what I do do every day, and it just takes a snippet of time, is I do the mini crossword, the New York Times mini crossword. It takes like two minutes, but I love doing that, and so that kind of gets my day going. Well, thank you again
0: for joining us today and for all you do to keep promoting books out there. Thanks, Regina. Thanks for listening to Little Detours with Regina Brett. If you want to know more about today's guest and topic, head to my podcast page at reginabrett.com. There you can also subscribe to my email newsletter so you never miss an opportunity to be inspired. For more episodes, you can subscribe at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. While you're there, please rate and review my show so we can reach and inspire even more people. Thanks for joining us today. Now go make something possible.